we live in a rage culture. You know, with the amount of information out there, there's always something or someone to be angry at. It is not entirely bad, actually. You know, after all, anger is a reflection about our sense of justice and righteousness. And we live in a world that's full of evil and brokenness. So now, think of something or someone that just grinds you in all kinds of wrong ways. I mean, on top of my head, I probably have names of politicians, of governments, of people, religious tribes that just get me blood boiled up whenever I read stuff from them. But now, what if I ask you to pray for them so that they will receive the mercy and blessing from God? Are you groaning in your heart yet? And what if I tell you that your prayer worked? Those that you despise the most are not forgiven. All their sins and crimes will no longer be held against them. How does that make you feel? I know I would be incredibly annoyed and frustrated. So in the passage that we just read, Prophet Jonah is throwing a temper tantrum with God for a very similar reason. Why is Jonah angry with God? Is he being a little bit dramatic? You see, Jonah wants God's mercy, but he cannot accept that God showing mercy to those whom Jonah disagrees with. But here's a lesson that the Israelites who were the first readers received this book will learn. That is, our God is merciful. In fact, he is so much merciful than they can imagine, and anyone who cry out for his mercy will receive it. And likewise, Israel must reflect his mercy in their relationship with the Gentile nations. So my question to you today is this. Do you want God's mercy? You know, in our service so far, we have mentioned mercy so many times. And if your answer is yes, then you should be both delighted, but also challenged to hear this good news, that our God is merciful and all who cry out for his mercy will receive it, and you will reflect his mercy. So if you want God's mercy, the first thing you need to know is this. Mercy is from God. And that means there's absolutely nothing that you can do or do to be to earn God's mercy. It's 100% depending on God's will and his grace and 0% on you. Mercy is from God. Let me show you this from our book today. So the book of Jonah can be divided into two sections. Uh, chapter one and two is one section, and three and four is another. Both sections kind of mirror, uh, they mirror each other as they follow the same progression. So the structure of our sermon today will follow the two sections simultaneously. So I'll jump from ch uh, chapter one and two, and I will go to chapter three and four. So let's start with the beginning of chapter one and the beginning of chapter three where we read that God commanding Jonah to arise, go to Nineveh, and call them out on their evil. So to which our prophet responds in chapter one, no way, I'm not going there. Why is that? Why doesn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Well, think of a country that is known for its brutality and world-conquering ambition. And one day that country will invade yours. They will occupy your land, and they will probably torture you until you die if you fought against them. And anyone who survived the onslaught, 
you will probably be enslaved and chained up to a different country, and that you will be a slave forever. So that country would be Assyria, and Nineveh was a great city in that country. And Jonah is a prophet of God serving the northern Israel, who were the enemies of Assyria, and his contemporary Hosea and Amos have um, prophesied that God would bring judgment on Israel through the nation of Assyria because their unfaithfulness and their idolatry, which we have learned extensively in the past few weeks. So Jonah is fully aware of the evil that Nineveh have done and will do to Israel if they come. So, so and, and now God wants, uh, wants Jonah to minister to them, you know, to bring the message of judgment and possibly salvation to them. And that pretty much will guarantee the future destruction of Israel. And that's why Jonah does not want to go. So instead of going uh, eastward to Jonah, or east is on your side here, uh, Jonah head west to Tarshish. And he's not only running away from the command of God, he's also running away from the presence of God. And according to verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. But can anyone really run away from the presence of God? If God is present everywhere. So in verse four, uh, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. So the ship that Jonah was trying to run away on was being threatened to break up. And in response, the sailors hurled the cargoes into the sea, hoping it can lighten the load. And they cry out to their gods, even ask Jonah to cry out to his gods. However, their actions are futile because God is clearly the one that's controlling everything that's going on right now and Jonah cannot escape from God. And Jonah knows this, and like anyone who's utterly defeated before their fate, he decides to, of course, take a nap. Until the sailors eventually notice something odd is going on with this guy, and they interrogated him. So a good prophet will take this opportunity you know, to share the good news of God and call them to place their trust in God. And I think even you would probably do that and write in the GFC gospel tracker. <laughs> but Jonah is not such a prophet. He is a prophet, but missing in action. He is trying to avoid God and refuse the assignment from God. And he acknowledges in verse 9 that he is a Hebrew and he fears the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. But he had no intention to call to God for his mercy to save them. So in the end, the sailors did what Jonah said, which is hurling Jonah off the boat, and then the sea was calm. And they feared, and, the, and the, as a result, the sailors were, uh, they feared the Lord exceedingly, and they believed in God, according to verse 16. And that is the irony in Jonah's story. He did not call anyone to believe in God, but just by sheer acknowledgement that his God is a true God, God is able to use the circumstances to call on believers, the sailors, to himself. And that is because the mercy is from our God, and he will show his mercy to whoever he wants to. And this, this irony is accentuated even further the second time God calls Jonah to Nineveh, so that now we're jumping to chapter three. So this time Jonah obeyed. He arose and he went to Nineveh, he called out, in yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that's it. A declaration of judgment, he did not give any reason behind the judgment. 
nor mentions God, who is the source of the judgment, and he did not mention any way to even avert from the coming judgment. Also, you know, you can note that the city is three days in breath, but he only went a day's journey. So about one-third of the city. So see, he's even less than half-hearted in his efforts. You know, every, you know, I think everyone here, if you do like half-hearted as Jonah, you'll probably get fired on your job, right? And, but yet, you know, we, uh, yet we read that the response of the Nineveh is like the sailors in chapter one. They believed in God. Every man, great to the least, including the he, king he himself, uh, repented from their sinful ways. So we'll spend more time on their response later. But for now, I just want to put an emphasis on, you know, how God relented from the disaster that he said he would do to them because of his mercy to Nineveh. And commentary, uh, commentaries write this, you know, the reluctant prophet turns out to be one of the most successful prophets in the Old Testament. So this starking, uh, stark contrast between the success of Jonah's ministry and his reluctancy highlights the point that I'm making here. Mercy belongs to God. God intends to use Jonah as an instrument of his mercy and to, uh, to the evil city of Nineveh. And despite of his own unwillingness and half-hearted effort, the great city and everyone within is saved from the judgment of God. And that's the thing about mercy. Nobody deserves it. Otherwise, it wouldn't call it mercy. It would probably call it reward or a payment. You see, God is not obliged to show mercy towards anyone, and there is no fairness in who receives mercy and who doesn't, because none of you, none of us, deserves it. And yes, Nineveh is a, was an evil nation. You know, they killed, they destroyed, they flayed their prisoners, and they raped women and children. And so Jonah is right to be angry with them because they're great evil. But Jonah is wrong in thinking that because of their evil, they don't deserve God's mercy. See, our position with God is this. We have all fallen short of the perfect righteousness that God requires for us. And before God, everyone deserves death as a penalty for their sin. That doesn't mean there's no degree of evil, but some, you know, some people absolutely have done horrendous deeds in this world. But in God's judgment on our sin, it's not like a standard uh, test or percentile. So once upon a time, I took MCAT for medical school entry. I don't talk about this much because I'm pretty embarrassed by it. You know, I studied my butt off for the whole summer, and in the end, I got like 8 out of 15. So it doesn't mean I barely pass the exam. Actually, it means I'm somewhat average among the applicants, except I probably need to be the top 5% to even have a remote chance to make into the med school. So kudos to all your doctors here, and that's why I'm here today. <laughs> so you see, meeting God's righteous standard is actually infinitely more difficult than me becoming a doctor. You, don't, you can't just be the top 5%, not even the top 1%, not even the 0.00001%. You have to be perfect. And otherwise, you will have to pay for your sins with your life. So my goal here right now is not to make you feel totally despair. Well, in a way, actually I am. But I only want you to feel despair of your own ability to save yourself so that you will put 100% of your hope on the mercy of God. 
See, there's no gradient. There's no in-between God's mercy. And Jonah, to a larger degree, Israel as a whole, was chosen as God's people, and not because they're a good nation, not because they're not they're particularly innovative or powerful or charming, but why? In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 to 8, it says, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and he is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So if it was all of God's own mercy and love, Israel was chosen. On what ground can Jonah deny Nineveh from the same mercy? Romans chapter 9, verse 15 says this, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. You know, friends, Jonah was blinded by his hatred towards Nineveh, and it warped his understanding of God's mercy. But do you feel entitled of God's mercy sometimes? Do you believe some people are beyond salvation? You know, do you believe your righteousness is greater than God and you can be a better judge than God to to determine who should be saved and who should not? You may not say that out loud, but does your attitude and your action reflect that? You know, isn't that why we're more likely to be sucked into the culture rich today than to pray for our enemies? Isn't that why we don't want to evangelize and we're scared to share the gospel with others? You know, in our church, we teach that God foreknew and he predestined those who will be saved for his glory. And this belief often does not sit well with us, you know, who, wants to, who want to maintain autonomy in all of our lives, including salvation. And there can be much to be said on this topic, but from the book of Jonah, I want to place us in a place of humility when it comes to our salvation. It is difficult to accept God's total sovereignty in salvation because we don't fully comprehend the magnitude of God's mercy. See, mercy, again, is from God and only from God. Anyone in this world will either receive mercy and live or justice and be judged. There's no in-between. And the question is, if mercy is from God, then who can receive God's mercy? If God is absolutely sovereign in electing his people, does that mean we are just robots with no will on our own? No. If you want God's mercy, you can and you must cry out for it and repent from your sin. And this is the second point of our sermon today. Mercy is for anyone, anyone who asks. Now let's go back to our story and read it. Uh, read it. So remember the storm we mentioned in chapter one about, uh, that was about to crash the boat that Jonah was in? So let's go back there. So the sailors' response initially was, you know, trying everything they can do to save themselves. You know, they hurl the cargoes out, they cry out to their gods, you know, because God is, but, you know, nothing worked because God is determined. And even after Jonah told them what they need to do in verse 11, which is throw Jonah off, they were still trying to work their best to save themselves. And look at verse 13, chapter 1. You know, the men rode hard to try to get back to the land, but they could not. You know, the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So finally, 
they give up relying on their own strength and they called out to Yahweh, to the Lord, in verse 14. They cry out to God not only for their own salvation, but also to be free from this of tossing Jonah overboard. And see, that's the irony again here. In the face of storm and despair, the Gentile sailors cried out to God to save them before the prophet Jonah did. So as a result, uh, the sea ceased from its raging while Jonah was swallowed by the fish or the whale. So it is amazing to see how quickly God is to relent from the disaster as soon as the sailors sought after his mercy for their salvation. You know, they have very little knowledge of God, but a few things they have learned. One, God is able to control nature. He can start a storm and he can calm this storm down. Two, human power before God accounts for nothing. They can roll, they can hurl, they can do whatever they want on their own. Nothing would work. Uh, Three, God listens when people cry out to him. You know, read their response again in verse 16. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. So they went from fearing the storm now to fearing the Lord. And that fear of the Lord produced a saving faith that led them to respond before the natural disaster with crying and with obedience. And that Jonah's cause, of course. So as extraordinary as the story of the sailor's conversion, it actually pales in comparison to what happened in Nineveh. So let's jump back to Nineveh in chapter 3. We, let's, re, let's read the response of Nineveh again to the half-hearted message of Jonah. In chapter 3, verse 5, you know, the people of Nineveh believed God, and that, bre- that belief instantly produced a response in action. They called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the king arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. What a deeply humbling reaction to the message of judgment. You know, commentary writes, such vivid description of a king is rare even among the Jewish kings, among the good ones. You know, in verse 8, the king decreed an entire nation from men to beasts, all must call on the mercy of God. And he asked everyone to turn from their evil uh, and from the violence that is in their hand. So greatest to the least, the men and the beast, it is a whole spectrum. It is a total change of heart and total 180% reversal of their actions. It's not half-hearted, it's not shallow, and that, brothers and sisters, is what true repentance looks like. Listen to the words of the king again in verse 9. He says, Who knows? God may turn and relent that we may not perish. See, despite of everything the king has done, he acknowledges that God is ultimately the one who reigns, and he can do what he pleases. And here we have a king who indeed has removed himself from the throne and now worship God as the ultimate king. And his humility in response to God's, to God's word is a stark contract to Jonah, the prophet of God. So Jesus in his ministry was challenged by Jewish leaders you know, for a sign in the story of, um, of Matthew tw- uh, chapter 12. But Jesus responded to them with this. 
and an evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at a judgment with this generation and condemns it and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What is the sign of Jonah? It was a time that Jonah was spent in the sea instead of the whale. It is the fact that his message of judgment led a great city, an evil, horrible city, to repentance. You know, the greater sign performed by the greater Jonah will be Jesus' death and resurrection, and which is the means of God's mercy on those who do not deserve. You know, again, we have all sinned against God, and we either receive mercy or justice from God. But the mercy of God does not negate the justice of God. So what happens to our sin? And that solution was found in Jesus Christ. God forgives the debt that we owe by sending his own son to pay on our behalf. And because the penalty of sin is death, Jesus who took on our debt, a debt was then crucified and killed on, our, on the cross. But just as Jonah was delivered by God after three days instead of the whale, Jesus, who is God, overcame death and was resurrected on the, on the third day. Jonah's message led to repentance to the Gentile city of Nineveh, and Jesus' message will give an entire humanity the hope for salvation. So God's mercy is made known through the work of Christ, and it is continually being proclaimed by his followers, and the followers and the fo- of the followers. From the generation to generation, we, Grace Fellowship Church, along with many other churches around the world, still are proclaiming this good news of mercy. The salvation is here. Repent from your sin and worship God in the person of Jesus Christ. God's mercy is for you if you ask. But the question is, are you in despair enough to ask for that mercy? Maybe your life is going great. You know, you have a decent job and you're respected by your coworkers. You may even have a house in a very expensive city of Toronto. You're married with some pretty cute kids. You know, you have a very Instagrammable life. And even COVID couldn't affect you much. And repentance and salvation may be the last thing on your mind. But don't take this temporary blessing for granted. If you have not uh, tasted the despair of your own sin, and you have no fear of God's judgment on you, then you don't have God's mercy. Because you have no need for it. You know, this life will end and you will die. You don't need to be a doctor to know that. But when that day comes, it will be too late to cry for mercy. The only cry you mutter will be from the anguish of the torment in eternity. And along with all the other decent people who thought they were good enough to make it into heaven. But guess who will be rejoicing that day? Nineveh, Gentiles. Thieves, adulterers, addicts, those who were utterly broken, who thought they were beyond salvations until they cry out for the mercy of God into their lives. 
So brothers and sisters, the sovereignty of God does not neglect your own responsibility in choosing and crying out to God right now. It is indeed a mystery how God elects his people, but it is still true that each one of you right now are responsible for the choice you make. You can either ignore the warning from God, you know, you may just come to the church, listen to this preaching message week to week, but completely neglect what God is saying, or you can come to Jesus and live by the mercy of God. God wants you to be saved, and his mercy is ready for you if you ask. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says this, It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And this is our God's heart, and this is his moral will. It is for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth that is all of God's mercy. But not everyone will respond to the call because their own hardening of hearts. So even though Jonah was half-hearted in his prophetic duties, Nineveh responded with humility and repentance. So God is pleased and he relented from the disaster. But do you know who is not pleased? Jonah. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, it displeased, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Though Jonah was a prophet, but he let his personal prejudice and hatred blind his understanding of God's mercy. He's angry with God because God showed mercy to Nineveh. And you know, Nineveh somehow responded in a way that Jonah's own people, Israelites, would not do. That is to repent and turn from their evil. So Jonah is seething with anger, and he forgets that the mercy is to be extended. And now we're at our last point today. Mercy is to be extended. Jonah knows what a merciful God he is, uh, God is. In fact, he quoted Exodus uh, chapter 34, verse 6 to 7, in, uh, in, uh, in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 2 here. You know, we said we come back to this verse a lot, right? Um, yeah, because these, uh, this verse is on the character of God. So Jonah says in chapter 2, verse 2, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. And if that's familiar, it's because we also use the same verse today in the call to worship. Because it's so vitally important to know God's character. And Jonah knows this. He's a prophet. And also he experienced God's mercy while he was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. So due to the time limitation, I won't explain chapter two line by line. But essentially, chapter two is a record of Jonah's prayer. It's a psalm when he was at the lowest point of his life. Literally, he was under the sea. You know, he was in distress. He was dying. Even though he was the one running away from God, but at this point, he experienced the intense isolation and what he actually feels like to be far removed from God. And Jonah does not want it anymore. He wants God's mercy. He's looking again towards God's holy temple in chapter 2, verse 4. And he's remembering God, that he is merciful and he can forgive Jonah's, mercy, uh, Jonah's sin. So that psalm in chapter 2 ends with this. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
So finally, at the end of chapter two, our prophet Jonah responded in a similar fashion like the sailors at the end of chapter one. He gives thanks to to the Lord for deliverance with sacrifice and vows, and he proclaims salvation belongs to the Lord. Except Jonah only rejoices when he receives God's mercy. But when God shows his mercy to someone else, especially one that Jonah hates, he turns bitter and angry. So God has a Jonah, um, sorry, God has a lesson on mercy for Jonah in the second conversation in chapter four. So now let's jump back to chapter four. So in verse six, God created a plant to protect Jonah from his discomfort to which Jonah was exceedingly glad. But the next day in chapter seven, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that they withered. So, and God also appointed a scorching east wind that a heat beat down on Jonah and Jonah turns bitter again. He's so angry with God for killing the plant to the point that he would rather die. Again, in verse eight, you know, talk about being dramatic, right? But why is, Jonah do, uh, why is God doing this to Jonah? You know, is he just toying with him? No, God is showing Jonah that mercy belongs to the Lord. He can grow the plant to protect Jonah, Jonah, and he can destroy the plant and take away his mercy. He has a power and the right to do both, but his heart is to show mercy and not to destroy. And he points Jonah, and he points Jonah to see that you know, Jonah would pity a plant, or maybe Jonah likes the comfort that the plant provided, and yet Jonah has no sympathy for the city of Nineveh. He has no mercy for them. You know, he has no mercy for the 120,000 people in the city who do not know their left hand or the right hand and much cattle. Jonah, you know, even though Jonah proclaimed salvation belongs to the Lord in chapter two, verse nine, but Jonah does not actually like that when God saves people he doesn't like. So Christians, if you have uh, seen your need for God's mercy and you have cried out for God's mercy, then my challenge to you today is this. Are you withholding mercy from anyone? Are there people in your life that you just cannot forgive? You know, are there people in this church you cannot see eye to eye with? You know, and if I can be honest, this actually has been a really difficult message to prepare. Not because of the structure of the text, because it's actually very straightforward but because I lack mercy a lot. I lack patience and grace towards those around me, you know, especially my wife. You know, the words of Jonah cussed my heart so many times these past few weeks. You know, in fact, my, my wife actually constantly, you know, sometimes mocks me with those verses in chapter four, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I constantly think of, you know, the, the phrase that, Paul McDonald, when he preached this message a few years ago, scandalous mercy, and I know I don't have that. I lack that, I need that from God. You know, I have been a Christian for many years, and well, I think many years, relatively, but mercy is a word so often used, and yet so often neglected. And the closer you build your relationship with someone, and the more need more it is for mercy. Because we're all sinners, we all offend each other. That's why we need God's mercy to help us forgive. So how do you deal with others' offense towards you? Hot anger or cold shoulder? Do you go to another person and gossip about it? Or do you pray for that person and then to speak to them directly in love? 
Do you even have someone in your life right now that's close enough to hurt you? Or do you actually build a wall in your life and you live in an isolated but pain-free, comfortable but love-free life? Are you merciful towards the nation? You know, I was talking to John Tembacus last week. You know, I feel like such a hypocrite. John was organizing a street evangelism around, you know, this neighborhood, which has a large Muslim population around us. And I am preparing a message on mercy to the nations. But I groan just by the thought to speak to the gospel to a stranger again. You know, I haven't spoke to any stranger at all for the past years. And now you ask me to speak the gospel? You know, but there are more than 120,000 people in the city of Toronto who do not know their right hand or left. And they will die one day without someone pointing them to see the futility of their own good work. You know, sometimes we question God, oh, why don't you show more mercy to more people, to save more people? But the question becomes, why are you not the instrument of mercy? You know, thankfully, John graciously responded to me that even if I feel just challenged to share the gospel again, even if that just in my mind again, that would be a win for him. So right now, the question for you, do you feel the challenge to show mercy to the nations? Do you feel challenged to share and reflect God's mercy with strangers who don't know their left and right? Or do you just like shrug, you know, and move on? You know, using the sovereignty of God as a cover-up for your lack of mercy towards the nations. And if, and if, if, if talking to strangers is too hard for you, what about sharing gospel to the, non, to, the, to the non-believers among us? What if I tell you right now there are 20 adorable little sinners upstairs <laughs> who are in need of the gospel? Yes, I'm talking about the children's ministry. You know, do you have mercy on them? Or do you just like their cute photos on Instagram? You know, they need to hear the gospel more than likes from you. They need your mercy more than your adoration. Children's ministry is not a babysitting ministry. It's evangelistic. And the the children's workers are reflecting and are sharing the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ with them each week. So would you join them? You know, Lynn has been serving every week upstairs and not able to join our service for a while now. So don't let her take out the glory and the reward in heaven. <laughs> join her. And do you know who else needs mercy? The world at large. Christians, you know, I know it can feel like the whole culture is, you know, is against us with their progressive ideologies. And sometimes it thinks, you know, it feels like the only way to make our voice heard is to fight back at them, you know, in their own games. You know, I've seen a lot of heated comments and, you know, sometimes nasty comments from Christians over the past year. You know, it seems like we're more eager to become the next Ben Shapiro than to become, the, than to become like Jesus Christ. You know, Christians, let us be known in person and online for our mercy and love for our neighbor. And even if they don't accept that love, you know, let gospel be the stumbling block to those who are of the world. But you don't be the gospel yourself. Just don't be a jerk. I know standing for truth is crucial, and we must continue proclaim the gospel unashamedly. But let's remember... People online are not your enemies. 
Governments and authorities are not your enemies. The woke mobs are not your enemies. The extremists are not your enemies. We were all once the enemies of God, but by God's mercy, he has made us his friends. So friends, please don't be like Jonah. Don't be blinded by your own sense of righteousness and don't harden your heart and neglect those who need to hear the gospel of mercy. Mercy is from God. Mercy is for all who asks. And you are called to extend and proclaim that message of mercy. Let us pray.